Happy Easter. This is the day you got to smile. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you all for coming here this morning because this is when we celebrate moments like this. We're not meant to celebrate them alone. We're, not, we're meant to celebrate them for some of you maybe with complete strangers, but we are all human and we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And we will all experience the power and the blessing of what God did 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday morning. So it's good for us to be gathered together. Uh, if you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip that. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but you'll be able to write in a few points. I'm going to pray that the Lord opens up our hearts and our minds just to receive this morning. Even if it's just one thing, one thing new about Easter, maybe you've never considered that we would have that. So Heavenly Father, I pray as we open up your word now that you would open up our hearts. God, this is your thoughts, your heart, your words, your principles speaking to us. And Lord, the word says that we need this just like we need the food and the feasts we have planned today. We need this just as much to live. So God, breathe new life to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've told this story before but it is so poignant and powerful, I just had to tell it again. In 1922, that's part of what piqued my interest, exactly 100 years ago this year, Howard Carter, a famous archaeologist, he discovered the tomb of King Tut. Now, that wouldn't be a big deal because over the last two, 3,000 years, human beings have been discovering tombs of kings, thousands of kings, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in Mesoamerica, no matter where it is, we're always finding these very wealthy kings who were buried with gold and jewels and all that. But they always have one common thing. Grave robbers have almost always beat everybody to it, right? I mean, wouldn't you like to be that first grave robber, you know, walk off with all that gold, you know? Not talking about the money, just the gold that surrounded it, you know? Well, in 1922, Howard Carter amazed the world by finding King Tut, and he was still in his tomb. And all the gold and the riches and everything he was buried with, the sarcophagus, everything was still there just as it had been laid thousands of years ago. Millions upon millions of people lined up to see it, and they still line up this day. I grew up in the Middle East. I went to the museum that has all of this, and there is a line going out five city blocks trying to get in so they can see how this ancient, extremely wealthy king lived to see ancient versions of spoons and forks fashioned out of pure gold. And they rejoice because King Tut was still in the tomb. You can see his mummified body, skin, teeth, even hair after all this time. But today, we don't celebrate a body that was in the tomb. We celebrate the empty tomb. Amen? We celebrate a grave that needed no robbing because Jesus himself flew out of that grave atheists who are smarter than all of us <laughs> combined have made it a career to dispel the resurrection 
And what's interesting is the end result for most of them who try to do this is that most of them end up his followers. I don't know if you knew that. Because the resurrection survives every test. It actually happened. But we cannot explain it, so philosophers still have their doubts. And we can't duplicate it, so scientists still maintain their scrutiny. One time, a long time ago, when I lived in Washington State, I did a funeral. And I did not know the family very well, but I was asked to do it. And so I, after concluding the funeral, I'd never seen this happen, but, but everybody left very quickly. Uh, now, memory serves me correct, living in Washington State could have been that a rainstorm was coming, which happened about every 15 minutes up there. So I mean, it could have been something like that. But I'd never seen, it was like sheep scattering. You know, they, they just left the graveside very quickly. And so I thought that my contribution was over. And the older gentleman uh, whose wife had passed away, uh, he had said, Pastor, could you stay here a moment? Sure, I'll stay here a moment. And it was kind of uncomfortable for a while because I began to realize that everybody had left this man. You know, I, I think even his family and friends who knew him, uh, there must have been a, a reception or something somewhere, and they, they maybe were all trying to get to that. It's particularly windy and cold, I remember that. And I just stayed there with him. And I remember just seeing the look on his face. Uh, it was a look of, I just can't walk away from, from, from the coffin that had, had his wife in it. I just can't walk away. He just stared at it for the longest time. And so I'm kind of fig-leafed off to the side. And it was then that I realized the longest walk you will ever take is the walk you make when you leave a loved one in a cemetery. It's the longest walk you'll ever take. And if you've never done that, you can't imagine how difficult it is. I've done many funerals since then, and I've seen it at every one. The long walk. It's not a brisk walk back to the car. It's almost more of a waltz back to the car. And when someone dies that you're close to, the thought that you have is, this will never be the same again. Life will never be the same again. In the Gospel of Luke, in the 24th chapter, we find two men who are having such a walk. A long walk as they leave the tomb of Jesus, believing that he's still in it. These are two friends of Jesus, and they're walking on a road to a town called Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, so it was about a half a day's walk. It wasn't a short walk. wasn't a long walk. It was long enough to strike up a really good conversation, right? Many of us, if we went for a three-hour drive, we could strike up a pretty good conversation. So these two are close followers of Jesus. They were not apostles. These two men were not apostles. They were simply close followers of Jesus, but they had truly believed in him. They truly believed he was Messiah. They truly believed he was the answer to all of their problems. And then, bam, Jesus was dead. Jesus was crucified. 
Jesus was laid in a tomb. And they're thinking to themselves, how has it come to this? How could all of Jesus' ministry, all of Jesus' miracles, all the people he fed, all the sick he healed, all the dead he raised, all the demon-possessed he cured, how could it come to this? They were on the long walk. It's Sunday. Jesus is dead, or so they thought. And so they decide to go home. They figured, well, no more time for wasted dreams. This time they were going home for good, or so they thought. But their question is really our question, slightly rephrased. We could say, where is Jesus when you need him? Where is Jesus when you got a pit in your heart? You just can't seem to get it out. Where is Jesus when you got some unforgiveness and bitterness toward another person? You just can't seem to overcome it. Where is Jesus when we're sick and injured? Where is Jesus when we're confused, lonely, anxious, or depressed? Where is Jesus when we think of what's going on in Ukraine right now? Where is Jesus when we look at our economic forecasts? Where is Jesus when we look at some of the bigger picture things going on all over the planet? It's a very easy question to ask. One of the most new prominent verbs that have happened really in the last 10 years, some of you may argue the last 20 years, but I'm going to say the last 10 years. One of the newest verbs is called ghosting. Anybody know what I mean by that? Where you've been ghosted, you know? Many of you do not know what I mean by that. You have never been ghosted. I have been ghosted a lot. That says a lot about me. But uh, if you've ever been ghosted, I can tell you something right now. It is not a fun experience, all right? 70% of all teenage breakups happen this way. You may say, well, what is ghosted? It's when you text somebody and they never text you back again, right? You know, they never acknowledge, they never, I mean, that's just it. You know, you get ghosted. And you, you know, you could call, I mean, I suppose it could, you know, if you call somebody, leave a message, text them, DM them, instant messenger, all the different ways we have communication these days, and they simply never answer back. I mean, in my day, I actually had to, you know, face the person that I was trying to, you know, either break up with or whatever, face to face and have to do it. But these days, we can just ghost. You put it out there, and you never get anything in return. And I think as I've talked with people over the years, sometimes that's how they feel like God is. I put it out there, and I just don't seem to get anything in return. It's as if God is ghosting me, and I don't know why. Well, that was certainly the mood on Easter Sunday as these two men were making the longest walk away from the tomb. Jesus seemed gone for good. If you have your discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. We're going to begin just going a few verses at a time, uh, connected with our points this morning, to show that Jesus is very much here and very much alive. Our story this morning comes out of Luke chapter 24, 
beginning in verse 13. And my first point is this. Sometimes we can't recognize when Jesus, we can't recognize Jesus when he's right beside us. Sometimes we can't recognize Jesus when he's right beside us. Uh, Luke says that now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. And as they were discussing, Jesus himself. This isn't just like one of us being Jesus-like. This is Jesus himself. Bible makes that very clear. Came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. What a weird thing, right? You'd think after the resurrection, Jesus would be announcing himself to everybody. Here I am. I'm alive. You don't have to freak out anymore. I haven't ghosted you. And yet he's purposely kept from being recognized. Now, some have said that they didn't recognize Jesus because they weren't expecting to see him, right? They weren't expecting to see him, so they didn't recognize him. They're walking, maybe they're looking forward, maybe like a lot of men, they're walking and talking as they're drifting off into the space. And they just didn't recognize him. That would have been me. I think I probably could have had a three-hour conversation and never actually looked at him, you know? Others have said, well, it was kind of around evening and sunset, so it was a little harder to make him out. We'll actually learn from the context of the story. It is not evening or sunset. I think the third factor is probably the most plausible, which is simply this. It was a supernatural veiling of their eyesight so that they temporarily could not understand that it was Jesus walking beside them. You know, we always talk about the power of God's presence, right? I probably have 15 sermons over the last 25 years of preaching titled, The Power of God's Presence, right? We often talk about that. What we rarely talk about is the power of God's absence, that God is just as much present when he seems very, very absent. Ask Abraham. Abraham waited 26 years for the promised son that God gave him. There was power in God's absence. Or Moses. Moses has the Red Sea on one hand and the Egyptian army that is sent to annihilate him and all the Jews on the other. And all of a sudden, the power of God's absence. He raises that staff, didn't see God, didn't know what's going to happen, and boom, the Red Sea parts. Or David. David is crowned king of Israel. And yet, the current king, Saul, chases him for years before he is able to become king. The Bible's full of a balance. At times, you will sense the power of God's presence, and at times, we have to have the patience and faith to endure the power of seemingly his absence. He is never truly gone. He is never truly not here. But it can seem that way. Just as it seemed to these men that Jesus wasn't there. My second point is this. First one, sometimes we need to recognize Jesus when he's right beside us. Second point is this. Sometimes we need to hear the fresh gospel again. 
Look at this. In verse 17, Luke 24, 17, he says, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? What are you discussing together? And they stood still. Their faces downcast. They are not having a happy day like we just sang about. One of them named Cleopas. There's a baby name for you, by the way. Just take that one. That's <laughs> and asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Then we're going to skip to verse 26. And Jesus explains them. He goes through all of the scriptures he went to, to explain to them. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And in verse 27 it says, beginning with Moses, which is like the first five books of the Bible, then all the prophets, which is the other 34 books of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Even though Jesus said it, over and 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 over. They still didn't get it. Jesus said it as clear as you can say it. I will go to Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders will crucify me. And I will rise on the third day. He said it that clear. And even after saying it that clear, most of Jesus' followers woke up Easter Sunday gloomy and depressed. Jesus' answer, you need to hear the gospel again. Let me show it to you again. Let me say it again. And so beginning with Genesis, Genesis 3, I'm sure he touched on 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12 through 14. Read Zechariah 12 through 14, you will read about Good Friday. It is the Old Testament description of the cross all the way down to being pierced with nails. I mean, it is just clear. And Jesus is going through and methodically showing these men that all of this had to happen. It's kind of funny. Over the years, as a preacher, you love to hear the words, good sermon, pastor. And those of you who know me, I tend to love it a little more than most pastors. <laughs> I'll just be honest. <laughs> But it's kind of funny. I, I've heard it so much. Oh, that sounds, that sounds uh, egotistical. I, I've heard that phrase enough where there's one I like even better. And the one is this. Wow, Pastor, you told that Bible story and I'd never thought of it like that before. That's the one where I go home and say, God, thank you. Thank you for breathing the fresh gospel on the congregation the beauty of the story of the bible and the story of jesus is you can read it and reread it and restudy it and go over it again and all of a sudden what you saw at 15 isn't what you saw at 50 what you learned at 28 is different by the time you're 33 what you thought it was when you were single takes on a whole different when you're married and then when you're married a whole different when you have kids and even more when you have grandkids you start reading the same stuff and it, it just keeps coming on. Sometimes we need to hear the gospel again. Number three. <laughs> Did you hear that confirmation? That baby over there was like, amen. 
That's my fan club. Number three, sometimes Jesus seems to leave right after we recognize him. Here's an odd part of this story. Let's read it together. It's a neat part of the story. As they approached the village, Emmaus, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if you were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. It was most likely the afternoon. So he went to stay with them. You ever catch that? Jesus pretends like he's going further. Have an odd move, you know. They're at their destination. Jesus pretends like he's moving on. He hasn't even revealed himself yet. And they're like, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, it's getting dark out. Come on in. We'll feed you. We'll put you up for the night. God loves that. God loves that stuff. Be that person. Hey, hey, hey. Let me feed you. Let me put you up for the night. And however that means in our context. So Jesus goes with them. And then in verse 20, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And as he was giving it to them, their eyes were opened. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we take communion in church, and I really love it when somebody else does it. I mean, I like doing it, don't get me wrong. Uh, There's a joy in that. But when I'm not, the minister doing it and, I, and I'm not thinking of, of praying or anything like that but I'm just I just have it and I'm just doing it taking communion there's something about that where it brings the truth and the reality of Jesus real again there's something about touching something and drinking something that it just reminds me this is real brings it real And as Jesus began to do that, their eyes opened. The the veil, the supernatural veil comes off and they recognize that it's Jesus. And look at verse 31. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then bam, he disappeared from their sight. Is that not annoying? (laughs) They finally go, wait a minute. And then he's boom, he disappears right in front of them. I don't know what would have been more freaky. The fact that they recognized Jesus was alive and then over the fact that he just disappeared right in front of their eyes. And then they said to each other in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Now here's the big question you should be asking. Why did Jesus disappear? Why did Jesus disappear? I could go around and we could try to give answers. But there's really only one answer. One answer that I want us to go home with today. And the answer is this. Jesus didn't go anywhere. You see, when we think of disappear... We think of leaving, which implies geography. Right now, we are here. In an hour or so, some of us will be at Denny's. Some of us will be at Hodel's. Some of us will be at Grandma's house, have an Easter ham or whatever, right? That's geography. That's location. We are here, and then we go there. 
So honestly, we do the same with God. God is here, God is not here. When they could no longer see Jesus, it would be very logical to conclude, well, Jesus is not there anymore. But Jesus is more here with us today than he was when he was alive. And that's the beauty of Easter. He didn't leave them at all. He simply became invisible. Just like today in this room, Jesus is here. We can't see him. If he wanted to, he could appear and disappear. And when he disappeared, you may be tempted to say, oh, Jesus came and he left. No. Jesus doesn't come and leave. At 2.30 in the morning, when all the lights were out and nobody was here, Jesus was here. At 2.30 in the afternoon, when all of you have gone, Jesus will still be here. Because Jesus never left. Just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean he isn't there. Just because you can't feel him at times doesn't mean that he's left you. And just because you think that you're alone doesn't mean that he's not right by your side. And just because we can't reach out and touch Jesus doesn't mean that he is not in this room hearing every heartbeat, knowing every thought, loving us completely with a love we can't even understand. My final point is this. Trust the burning in your heart. Trust the burning in your heart. If someone says, why do you follow God? And you say, because I heard the gospel and my heart burned, that's enough. That's a good testimony. That's a miracle. That's a miraculous story right there. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures. Right there, that verse you see up here. If you combine that with a verse in Romans that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it's all there. They heard the voice of God in their hearts and they heard the voice of God in their heads as the scriptures and the word worked in tandem to turn the light bulb on and show them it is all real and they are not foolish for believing it and following it. Even if you're on the longest walk. And you can't see Jesus. Now people have been saying, well, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years now. When is he going to come back so that we can see him? After today, you can tell them Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. He's gone in terms of his physical presence on earth. But he's more with us now through the Holy Spirit than when he was alive. Alive in physical form on earth. Jesus is alive. How do we know this to be true? We need to look no further than the very last verse of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of you may say, what is the end of the age? At some point, the timer on this planet, the way we are right now, will be up, and that'll be it. And this age will be over. 
But for some of us, the age is over when you're over. <laughs> when your age is over. So whichever one comes quickly or comes first, here's the encouragement. Jesus will be with you. Whether he comes first or you go to him. So there I was standing there thinking of all this, all fig-leafed still with the man at the funeral. And when I looked at him, I was reminded, you know, we have not had our Easter Sunday yet. For now, we still make that long walk from the grave. We still weep and remember, wonder why. But soon, so soon, sooner than we can ever imagine, everything will be changed. Somehow, some way, Jesus is alive, even though we can't see him. And we may be living in the Saturday of life, the day of silence, the day where Jesus is in the tomb, the day where darkness seems to be closing in and things seem to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It may be Saturday for many of us, the day when the world fell silent. But thank God, Easter has already dawned across the universe. The daybreak is rising over the dark night. A bright light shines from that dark garden tune. And the light slowly chases the darkness away until one day, that darkness will be gone forever because Jesus is alive. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's respond real quick. I have prayed that the burning that those disciples felt that there would be a burning that we all felt this morning a burning in our hearts to respond to the gospel so I want you to search yourself inside and see if within you the light is shining and you can say with joy, with peace, with exuberance, Jesus is alive. It is true. It is real. And if you can say that, whether for the first time or just to rededicate your life to Christ this morning. Let's pray this together. In fact, why don't we stand together and pray this together? Say, Lord Jesus, I stand here before you with a burning heart. And I ask you to come and to fill my life with love, 
with peace, with forgiveness. I am on the longest walk. And it is still the Saturday we struggle with. But Lord, I believe a light has dawned. And I ask you to fill my heart as I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. And I declare, you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, I believe that you got born again today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to fill your heart. That the burning of your heart merely began today. But it will burn every day until we meet Jesus face to face. But until that day, we have a task to do. That task is to spread the grace that you've just received and to worship because of it. Amen.